So that's Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 23. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, Three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Uh, the next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 
He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Thanks, Rita, for reading that to us. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, why don't I lead us in a prayer? Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Old habits die hard, don't they? You'll know that if you've ever tried to 
stop checking your phone all the time, or, or go on a diet, or, or be taught a new way of doing things when you already know how to do it the right way. Old habits die hard. And so do our prejudices. You know what I mean? Those, those lines that we draw between us and them. That let us look down on, on other people because of how they talk or what they think or how they look. Because, well, because they're not one of us. Those of you at school, you'll, you'll know how those lines are drawn between our group and that group over there. The cool ones, the sporty ones, the weird ones. And those of us who are older, we're, we're probably ashamed to admit it, but we're not all that different. We, there's still people that we'll cross the room to talk to, and those we'll cross the street to avoid. There are those people that we quietly enjoy feeling just a little bit better than. All of us do it. And those prejudices, they die hard because they become habits. They become so ingrained in the way we think and act, we stop even noticing. Which is why Peter's sermon here to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, I think was probably the hardest sermon that he ever preached. Because Peter was a Jew and Cornelius was a Roman, a Gentile. And for Peter, that was the ultimate us and them. Everything in Peter's upbringing and way of life, the, the things he did, the clothes he wore, even the food that he ate, was constantly telling him, we're not them. We're not unclean, stinking Gentiles. We're better. We're God's people. And it was true. All through the Old Testament, God had chosen, set apart the people of Israel. But not because they were better. Because he was gracious. And he had given them distinctive ways of living to mark them out as a people belonging to him. But always, so they'd be a light to the nations, to draw them in too. Only the people of Israel, well, they'd done what all of us do. They twisted that privilege into a sense of superiority. Praise God, we're not like them. And so when Peter had heard Jesus promising his disciples that they'd be his witnesses to people to the ends of the earth, well, Peter would have been sure what Jesus meant. People like us, not people like them, Jews, not Gentiles. And that's one reason that this sermon is so important for us here today. Because almost all of us here aren't Jewish. And if this good news of Jesus was ever to cross that line and reach people of every race and colour and culture on earth, 
then God would have to help those first Jewish Christians break the habit of a lifetime, overcome deeply ingrained prejudices. Before God could reach the world, he had to change his church. And that's just what he begins to do here in Acts chapter 10, starting with Peter. So let's have a look at how God does it under three headings. Let's see first, the heart God changed. Which starts with probably the weirdest takeaway delivery ever. Verse 9, if you look at it, there was Peter praying on his roof just before lunch, stomach rumbling, and suddenly his prayers are answered. There's this huge sheet coming down out of heaven like some kind of divine deliveroo, inviting him to pick whatever he wants from the menu. Only as he's trying to decide between lamb shank or Kentucky Fried Chicken, a lizard slithers into view. And then a little piggy sticks up its snout and... And it's a little bit like a vegetarian tucking into a delicious salad and finding a rare bloody steak oozing underneath it. As Peter's stomach turns and he realises this feast is full of unclean animals. And Peter knows what the Old Testament food laws say. Do not eat them. Do not defile yourselves by any of those creatures, says Leviticus. And it's so ingrained in Peter's way of thinking that when God's voice comes, get up, Peter, tuck in. He's disgusted. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I know where the line is, Lord, Peter's saying. The line you've given us to keep us away from them. So it would have blown his mind when the voice came right back. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. What is going on? Has God had some kind of change of heart? Is this God overcoming his own prejudices against reptiles and and cloven-hoofed animals and and going all-inclusive all of a sudden. Peter's head must have been spinning. And it's at that very moment, verse 17, that visitors just happen to arrive at his gate. Sent from Cornelius, not just a Gentile, a Roman Gentile, but a Gentile who just happens to have been visited by one of God's own angels and told to send for Peter to bring God's message to him. And before that, surely not, can get out of Peter's mouth the second time, there's the Spirit's voice again. Do you see? Verse 20. Get up and go. Do not hesitate to go with them. And that word hesitate... It could also be translated, don't discriminate. Don't discriminate, Peter. Step right over the line and go with them. 
And so Peter does. He travels all the way to Caesarea. And when he gets to Cornelius' house, what does he do? Well, he breaks the world-changing habit of a lifetime. And he steps over the threshold. And we mustn't miss it. It's massive. See what Peter says in verse 28? It is against our law, against our whole way of life, for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. It shouldn't be happening. But... And every single one of us is only here this morning because of that but. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Do you see, something's happened to Peter. Something's changed his heart so that he's ready to give this message. And see how he starts it in verse 34? I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Do you see? Peter's stepped right over the line. Why? We'll come to a second point and see the way God has made. Because the striking thing is that Peter's newly inclusive message rapidly becomes, well, quite awkwardly particular. Because notice that that Peter doesn't say what our culture would love him to say. He doesn't say, Cornelius, I now realize that there are many ways to God. I realize that your upright living and your generosity, well, they're just as good a way into God's kingdom as, as my Christianity. He doesn't say that. No, instead, Peter, well, he goes awkwardly exclusive. He starts talking about events that that happened in in particular places. Israel, Judea, Galilee. Verse 39, in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Not any old place, one particular place. And involving one particular man. See that at the top of the page, Jesus of Nazareth that can be known about only through particular eyewitnesses. Verse 41, he was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses, by us who ate and drank with him. See what he's saying? Only there, only him, and only we saw it. They're big, exclusive claims, aren't they? Because their claims that God himself has done something. Verse 36, God sent the message. Verse 38, God anointed Jesus. Verse 40, when they killed him, God raised him from the dead. Proving, verse 42, and this is shocking, he is the one. He is the one whom God appointed judge of the living and the dead the one everyone must give an account to. It's an offensive claim in that world there and in ours today that this Jewish man, Jesus, verse 36, is Lord of all. 
But Peter knows it's also the best news in the world. Not just for Jews, but even for Gentiles. Even for an enemy of the Jews like a Roman centurion, like Cornelius, who's sitting there so aware that he's on the wrong side of the line. Because this Jesus is the way that God has made for that line to be crossed. Look at verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Because God has sent Jesus for unclean people. People like Cornelius and Peter and you and me, who, who fail in all kinds of ways, fail to live up to our own standards, let alone the standards of a perfect, holy God. And so who know that, well, that puts us over the line and far from him. That's what those Old Testament laws, distinguishing clean from unclean, they were really all about. That were really always pointing people to. It was never that God had a thing about, against bacon, or shellfish, or mixed fiber clothing. Now those were always a big visual aid. Woven into the fabric of his people's everyday lives that that some things can't mix, that holiness and sin can't mix, and that a holy God must draw a line between his perfect goodness and our sinful dirtiness, a line that must keep us out forever unless a way can be made for us to cross it. And that, Peter tells Cornelius, is the way that God has made by sending his son into our world. Not to cast us away as unclean, but to cleanse and forgive us. And how's Jesus done it? By stepping over the line and becoming unclean for us. Do you see that? By dying on a cross, by hanging on a cross until he died. That that same God-given Old Testament law told his people was the ultimate place of uncleanness and God-forsakenness. Deuteronomy 21, anyone who hangs on a tree is under God's curse. And Jesus hung there, bearing your uncleanness and mine. Everything that keeps us away from him. So that we can be brought over the line, cleansed and forgiven. Brought over to him. That's the penny that's dropped for Peter. Remember verse 15, that message that God delivered with with Peter's takeaway. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And that's why those food laws were no longer needed. Not because God had stopped being fussy, but because he's dealt with the bigger, deeper problem that that line was always pointing people to. 
the unclean hearts of all of us. And that's why Peter's realized he must break the habit of a lifetime and step over that line and offer this good news even to Gentiles because of the way God has made the unclean clean. Only one way, only through Jesus. It's shockingly exclusive. But at the same time, it's wildly inclusive because it's open to all. The way God made. And then finally, see the proof God gave. Because did you notice that this hardest sermon that Peter ever had to preach, he never even gets to finish? Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. It's quite rude, isn't it? He doesn't even get to finish. But as Peter speaks about forgiveness of sins, I think God's whispering to the hearts of Cornelius and the others there, yes, even you. Maybe he's doing that this morning with some of us here. As you've, as you've heard that same thing, yes, even you. Trust me. And at that moment, they do. And it's like an explosion that blows the doors of heaven wide open. I think it's a bit like that dad in a delivery ward bursting to tell the news of the safe arrival of his child. They're here! As God sends his spirit in an unmistakable explosion of joy, as if he's shouting from the rooftops, They're mine! And I don't think it's really for the sake of Cornelius and his household. They're too busy loving Jesus. No, I think it's for those people watching. Verse 45, for the circumcised believers who'd come with Peter. Those Jewish Christians who were sitting there comfortably on the right side of the line between them and us until God blows their doors off, just like he has Peter's. And they see the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out even on Gentiles and poured out in that unusually dramatic, tangible way. Do you see that? They're speaking in tongues. They're praising God in other languages. That I think it would have rung a bell. I think they'd have been sitting there and it would have taken them back, right back to another day, to the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit marked his coming in the very same unusually tangible, dramatic way at the birth of his church. And I think, like that proud dad, God saying to those Jewish Christians, Do you see? They're mine. Because my son has broken down every barrier for every single person who trusts him. And now do you see my beautiful church has been born, made up not just of circumcised believers, but of every believer. Yes, even them. They're mine. 
And so God provided this unmissable sign to change not just Cornelius, but to change the heart of his church so that they'd be ready to welcome no longer just people like us, but people like them from every culture on earth who God intends to bring into his family. See how Peter expresses it in verse 47. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized, of marking their belonging to this family. Because God's done it all. Through the work of his son, proved by his spirit, he's made them clean. He's brought them in. So who can stand in the way? It's the question I think Luke wants to leave ringing in our ears. Having shown us the length God went to, save his, to change his church, to overcome their prejudices. So that even us here in Cambridge, 3,000 miles away, 2,000 years later, could be welcomed into God's family through Jesus. And it begs another question. How might he want to change us too? So that nothing stands in the way of who might be next. How might he want to change us as individuals? So that we'll look at that person at work or at school so different to us. So different. Everything in us says, surely not them, Lord. But then we'll take that first step to cross that line, to start the conversation, believing that, well, that God just might have a plan to bring them in. And how might God want to change us as a church community? What barriers might he want to knock down? What habits might he want us to break so that nothing stands in the way of anyone, whoever they are, wherever they're from, from walking through our doors and not just hearing, but feeling the welcome of Jesus. Might it start by, by my crossing this room at the end of this service to, to speak to someone so different to me, someone I actually feel really awkward talking to change like that, it probably won't be easy. Old habits die hard. But how might he want to be at work in our church family so that when someone takes the risk to step over the threshold, everything about our shared life together says to them what God was saying to Cornelius that day. This is for you. This is for you. Come and meet Jesus with us. Let me lead us in a prayer. Father, thank you for all that you have done to bring us in. And Father, thank you for all that you're still doing, bringing others in too. Father, please will you do your work in us, changing us, so that we can play our part in it. Please will you help us. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.